look, you worthless piece of human excrement. This is the tainted blade of the Pale Knight straight from the abyssal layer. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you are a vicious snowflake. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, Mandy. Mandy, he seems, oh, she seems nice. I mean, if Barry Manilow has anything to say about it, uh, she came and she gave without taking. Without taking. And then uh, like 12 other verses of, (laughs) oh, Mandy. Uh, But we're not talking about that classical piece of musical excellence here. (laughs) We're talking about something a little different. Now, we were going to talk about this last week, but we couldn't get to the theater. But then something miraculous happened this week, which made our lives so much easier and so much better, which is that Mandy got released on iTunes simultaneously to being in a theater. So if you haven't seen the movie at this point, it is available for you for $6.99 rental in the United States Yes, um, uh, on iTunes. Oh, and I be- It'll probably be available on Google Play and other platforms as well. Sure. Uh, it was on Prime, I think, as well. That's where, oh, was I, it? where okay. I got it as well. But it was also $6.99. Let's talk about $6.99. Versus, what is it, $13 to go to the movie? I mean, out of New York City, yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fair... I think it's a fair price for a current release film. Yeah. Uh, for your home. I think if they, I, I'm worried, <laughs> and I was worried for a while that when this sort of thing started happening, that it would start being like $15, and it's like, ugh. Right. And I, I don't think that's happening yet, but you never know. Yeah, look, the movies are expensive, which is why, again, you know, coming back to that movie pass conversation we've been having, uh, I'm hoping. Uh, that something comes in the place of movie pass, and there is uh, it's called cinema, cinema, cinemania, cinnamon buns, cinnamon buns. No, it's called uh, cinema, cinemia, cinemia, <laughs> Cine- yeah. Sonoma County, C- cinemia. Yeah, that's what a is mon- it? it's a monthly subscription plan that is exactly like um, uh, movie pass, but they are uh, they have a more secure plan, which means uh, if you wanted to watch. Uh, their price is twenty nine dollars, twenty nine ninety nine a month for uh, a move, you know, for thirty tickets, and that's basically any movie, you know, you can go every day to the right. movies. But if you just want uh, three movie tickets per month, it's uh, eighteen dollars. Okay. And there's no blackout. That in- actually, sorry, the eighteen dollar version uh, includes IMAX, three D, and everything, and you, you can do three movies a month. Oh. No, uh, any movie theater. If you just want basically the same version as Movie Pass, which three movie tickets a month, again, any theater, no blackout. It's nine ninety nine, which is the same price as Movie Pass. And unlike Movie Pass, which has that sort of like you can go to these three movies. Yeah. You can go to any movie. Right. And can you reserve your tickets online? Uh, I believe so. Because if you can, then that beats the AMC one. Because I was I was this close to doing the AMC one. Because uh, as uh, the denizens of Astoria, New York, know, uh, the our movie theater is not uh, an AMC, and yeah. that would. I, but the one I like to go to in um, Lincoln Center, or not Lincoln Lincoln Center, um, uh, AMC Lincoln, yeah, it is yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln Square, Center, yeah. Lincoln Square, um, up on 68th, I think, in yeah. Manhattan. Um, that is an AMC, and it's it's a decent trek from here, but it's the it's not terrible. And they I have was one like, of the most the the they have a true IMAX theater, which is what I love. about Yeah, that place. so I was gonna get the AMC one and just start going there exclusively, uh, the, which. Is a bit of a pain. The risk you have with cinemia, and I'm going to spell it out for you, just our listeners. It's S I N E M I A. Um, <laughs> the risk you have is that it is an independent company like MoviePass, which we've seen sort of a tumultuous run with MoviePass. So there could be, you know, some risk of it going under or not being able to maintain that pricing, as we saw happen with MoviePass. Right. Uh, but their uh, they their CEO has assured the public that that won't happen. They said that they've tested these prices and done uh, extrapolation models to make sure that they can, you know, uh, hold on to that user base. 
Who knows? The only reason I trust that, honestly, <laughs> is because they can look at how <laughs> MoviePass failed yeah. and be like, oh. We're not doing that. Yeah. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that their plan won't fail, but it means that one particular plan they know will fail and they know how to counteract. Okay. So back to that original point that you made about the six ninety nine dollars for a movie theater. There is this alternative thing um, uh, called the, uh, the rich person's movie plan. Have you heard about this? No, so the well, I, think, I don't think I fall into that uh, no, you know, no, financial it doesn't, category. It doesn't apply to either of us. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, if you're if you're in the uber wealthy, you can have a system installed in your home, uh, which allows you to have uh, current release movies, uh, so movies that are playing in a theater right now. No, uh, stream to your home directly. Fuck uh, no, and it, co- it it's the the. I don't actually remember what the initial prices were, but the, there's something like each movie will cost you like a hundred to two hundred fifty dollars or something like that. But it's a it's a movie that's playing in a theater at that current moment, and you can watch it and you can bring friends over. And I think there was a plan. I think um, wow, uh, Sean Parker, uh, Facebook found, uh, uh, one of the early Facebook uh, yeah. uh, funders and um, Napster guy uh, <laughs> was trying to take that idea because that is available for rich people. And it's you know yeah kinda, yeah. Uh, to bring it sort of more home market. And I think he got the price down to like $50 a movie. Uh, but it uses like a really high-end... Encry- it basically uses, as far as I understand, almost the same encryption that they use to send movies to movie theaters. Right. Um, Which is not uncrackable. No, it's not uncrackable, but it's it's very... You know, like these aren't formats that sure. you can distribute around. And so uh, the, the cases that I've heard of people doing that are, for example, like, I believe Peter Jackson in New Zealand has one of these, so that, you know, he doesn't want to go to the movie theater, he would be inundated if he did, so he, you know, has this at his home. Slowly society (laughs) is turning into a thing where I could just go buy up in mid mid level uh let's say new hampshire away from everybody yeah uh i could go and i could uh, slowly but surely all of my loves are slowly becoming something i could put anywhere on the planet yeah i just it's just got to get that price down yeah 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 so it's happening and i i, I wow. think so that that i'm not sure what the system is called if you if you know what that system is called uh, write, write us, us in, in at onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at onlymoviepod but tell us what you think of this idea now i think this is great for a film like what we experienced, for example, which is the six ninety nine to rent the movie sure. on iTunes while it's simultaneously playing in the theater. I think that's a great option for a film like Mandy, which uh-huh. is only playing in like one or two theaters in New York City. Which think about where else? It, I mean, that means it's not going much of anywhere like outside of major metropolitan areas. You're yeah. not going to be able to really see this thing. Yeah, but um, the other film that I think it uh, would benefit from this uh, is a film called Thunder Road, which is coming out uh, shortly. Thunder Road uh, was initially a short film. And it got adapted into a feature film, and they kickstarted the movie. Uh, it won a bunch. The short film won, won a bunch of awards. The feature film has won a bunch of awards. Um, and the there's been a story floating around, uh, I believe, on Slash Film and a couple other places okay. this week um, about how the fact that they've made their money back through uh, through online distribution. So the film cost two hundred thousand dollars. It made its money back. I hear the film is fantastic, so it's really worth checking out. It comes out. It comes out simultaneously in the theater and on iTunes on the same day. Um, so I like that model, and I think it's really well suited to films like, like um, these particular, yeah, ones. like these two. Like I'm looking at the at the you know what's available on Cinemania though, and I don't think a film like Venom really. I mean, if Venom was available, for, here's the thing though: if Venom was available for six ninety nine at home, I would I would rent it. 
You know, like, because yeah. it'll be like, oh, I don't need to go to the movies. Now, you and I have a different scenario again, which is like, so we're not rich people, but we have something that that kind of is closer in emulation. We have like the emulation. We, box. Have, the, we have the emulator of um, what a, uh, a well-off person's situation for film watching would be. Which is that we've both invested in projectors for our home apartments, uh, and, and it means that we get big screen experiences at home. Granted, it's still 1080p. It's still old, uh, you know, older but still, stuff, but it's still, it's a big screen. It's a big screen. It looks great. Uh, you do, uh, you know, like uh, there, there has to be real clear reasons for me to see a movie in a movie theater. And I, th- I feel like with a film like Mandy, I got the experience of like being able to see it on a big screen. Now, what I didn't get was the crowd experience. So, all <laughs> Which of that, the crowd experience for Mandy, I imagine, would be interesting, and we can get into that. I would love a company to simulate the crowd experience. Like you, in your speaker, you'd have someone like like talking or phones texting. going off. Yeah, you also, like... you need that 40x experience. You need someone kicking the back of your seats. So you need a piston, sort of just hitting the back of your couch. I've never done that, but I don't. 40x is literally the bastardization of all things film. <laughs> like I, I won't go on a high horse often, but 40x is l- the most useless. Thing. Worse, worse than smell vision It has smell vision Oh, does it? It shoots scents at you, but they're not like <laughs> real scents. I feel like the only chemical scent you can actually get into the air from a non-natural place is, for some reason, buttered popcorn, mm. burning, and farts. I feel like nothing, and, and like maybe flowers or like a, a, a potpourri. My, my dad uh, used to own a candy store, and he would sp- there was a licorice spray. So how many just... how many <laughs> businesses does your family pickle pickle farm? You remember pickle farm? Scent store. Pickle farm is extended family. It's okay. Not, it's not, uh, it's, is there it's any like... other uh, <laughs> niche market that the Dowd family has 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 uh, given the monopoly upon? You know, there was a point at which we were going to get a video store, and I was oh. like, I, that was like the most exciting time in my life. I was like, we're going to get a video. I was because I've I don't know about you. I've always wanted to work at a video store. I've applied for jobs at video store and never got. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I am the perfect person, or maybe I am the worst person to work at a video store. Fun fact, same person. Right. It's the same person. Both the perfect person and the worst person yeah. is the same person to work at a video store. I, too, never worked at a video store. I also never worked at a movie theater. However, yeah. the Premiere 8 in Manchester, New Hampshire, is since long dead. Yeah. Uh, all of my friends worked there, and some of them were the managers. Uh, and then we would just sort of like, power. oh, my God, so much power. We'd go there late nights. They, they, uh, The movie that was premiering, say, Friday, they'd have to, back then, put yeah. together. Yeah. Um, on like Tuesday or Wednesday, and then we just watch screenings after it closed to make to make sure the print was good. Yeah, you got, no, they have to do that. I like, know. Yeah, but they would invite thing. us over, and I didn't drink at the time, but yeah. like people were drinking and doing whatever and yeah. having uh, sex probably up in the projection <laughs> booth and whatever. It's fine. I but, heard the other thing is you could play video games on the big screen. You couldn't at this theater okay. because they didn't. This is even before like digital projection at all. Right, like so. they didn't even have the one they wheel out to put there and then wheel away to actually have the film one. Like this was before all that. Right. Right. So we never got to play any like we're Halo. Old. We're super we are old. old. Yeah. But now we're people... talking about video stores. It's like Blockbuster <laughs> doesn't even exist anymore. And that's what we want. I'm waiting for the full uh 360, not to be confused with our camera experience yeah. we're having right now. By the way, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, we have a 360-degree camera going. You can check us out on our Facebook page or search only movie podcast on YouTube to see what this whole <laughs> weird thing looks like. And I swear we will add some little bonus content in there so you can kind of see things. We have one 
one up also before this. Uh, every We're just doing some tests. We're trying to see what's up. So if you like that, let us know. But I'm waiting for the whole 360 movement of like literally coming back and having like vintage stores where you have to go rent physical media as a niche. Uh, I think... Yeah, I could see that. I could see like in Williamsburg, like a, a DVD. Videology. I, Videology in Williamsburg. Have you been there? Yeah, I've been there. So yeah. that's, I mean, it's it's a bar and a store you I've can rent felt, DVDs felt from. Like, but the rental part is like you have to like look on a list and then someone brings it out to you. It's not like you go and browse. the, the Right. They've, they've made it slightly more efficient. I love video stores. I love browsing through. Cal- I like whenever I, if I pass a Barnes and Noble, that's what I'm doing. I'm going in the bar. I could like when, when we go shopping for the day or something like that and my wife is shopping and, and if I see a Barnes and Noble, that's, I'm, that's my man couch. I will go to the Barnes and Noble and hang out there. Is that the last vestige of... Of searching for physical media. I mean, Best Buy, sure, but even I feel like yeah, Best lo- Buy and all like that is sort of like relegated to like like three tiny racks that are like uh, a circle. Right, right. I and the thing I love there is like is scrounging through the through the uh, bargain bin. Oh, the five dollar bin. Yeah, I love doing that. Walmart, I, baby. Oh yeah, I was in a ta- I went for a vacation. I was in a town with a Walmart, and I was like, I gotta I gotta stop here. I gotta check it out. But it is always. <laughs> a million copies of the same four films, two of which are guaranteed to be the 14th and 15th Airbud sequel. Uh, either that, or it's guaranteed to star the star of this movie, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. See, we brought it, We finally brought it back. Uh, but yes, Nicolas Cage is likely to be in the bargain basement of your local Walmart in some way. Because I was looking at Nicolas Cage's uh, Nicolas Cage's um, Nicolas Cage's come on his, his filmography, and the dude makes a lot of movies. Look, you got to pay back that tax debt. I, is that what he's doing? I don't know. <laughs> I heard he was in a lot of debt. Again, this is me just literally talking shit. I have no idea. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just loves making movies, and that's totally cool too. Uh, I have a super friend. Uh, super friend. Super, a super friend. Super is friend. It that's a super fan. Is it one of the one twins? Uh, Stephanie Marchetti, who has actually been on our X Men Apocalypse mm-hmm. um, podcast way was, back in I the day. I wasn't on that. You were not. Yeah. That was that we did a a, a a distant a satellite show. Yeah. Uh, in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, one of my college friends, Stephanie Marchetti, is. Dear God, the 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 largest Nick Cage fan I've ever seen, and and unironic right Nick Cage fan, and that's something I feel that is um is hard to pull off, and she does with flying colors. Really, hey, ask her if she's seen Left Behind. Left Behind. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell you right now, she has. Like, there's no there's <laughs> I think no way that she has. Got like a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Doesn't matter. Like <laughs> um, listen, if you'd like to tell us what your favorite Nick Cage movie is, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod. Uh, also, if you want to leave a, I don't know, maybe a five star review on iTunes, also telling us what your favorite <laughs> Nick Cage movie is, we'll read that too. I mean, we'll just take any venue you'd like. Okay, sitting it off then, what is your favorite Nick Cage movie? Oh, oh no! Yep, you're kind of stuck, you, you, you're stuck in it now. Um, Okay, instantly, Con Air. Of course comes to mind. Okay. But there has to be something else. Um, Adaptation? It's good. It's good. Um, I think The Rock? Th- you know, I haven't watched... Face the- Off? I haven't watched The Rock recently. Face Off is just too funny at this yeah. point. I think Con Air might honestly Vampire's be my... Vampire's Kiss? No. No? I think my favorite Nick Cage movie is Con Air. I think mine might be Adaptation. Um... I'm li- You're looking at the list? I'm looking at the list. There's so many. I, I remember Kiss of Death when I was younger. I used to love it. Oh, Raising Arizona. We didn't great, even mention- great. Didn't even- you know what else was surprisingly fun, and I was kind of hoping Mandy would be a little bit akin to, but I, it wasn't, um, is uh, Drive Angry. Okay, I haven't seen Drive Angry. So Drive <laughs> Angry 
is he's from hell, right? In Drive Angry, he, he's come back from hell to rescue his granddaughter. Is I it think. the four wheel version of Ghost Rider? It's the <laughs> it's the knockoff like drugstore action figure brand of Ghost Rider. Okay, so like it'd be like and it'd be like to get it'd be like Spectral uh, a Surfer or some yeah. like nonsense. Like it's. It's Nick Cage comes back from hell and has to kill a bunch of gangsters that like his granddaughter is sort of in trouble with. And it's the just the right amount of pulp and offensive cheese almost yeah. that you're just sort of like, okay, because they still are having fun with it. Right. Um I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm saying if I'm in the mood for like a real B pulpy nonsense bullshit movie that has some decent action in it, like yeah. it was pretty good. So the the I mean, we're gonna talk about Mandy in a second, but Nicolas Cage, I think, is someone that uh, for example, I went to um, I went to see There Will Be Blood uh, a couple of weeks ago with a friend of the show, Nicholas Parker. We went to see it at the um, at the Lincoln Center, and they had a live orchestra performance. Whose milkshake was it? Uh, <laughs> it was funny. We we met. Uh, Did you get milkshake? Greg Baldwin was there. You fucks! <laughs> I really wanted a milkshake. <laughs> Greg Baldwin was there, but we suggested that what would be amazing is if he because he was up in the upper balcony. Okay, is to like extend a straw out slowly during the screening and then like at the end of the movie drink our milkshake. Yeah. Didn't happen. Uh. But 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 I was thinking about <laughs> actors who never phone it in. <laughs> no matter what movie they're in. And I think Nicolas Cage, Nick Cage, is one of those guys that just never phones it in. And I was the reason I brought up there will be blood, I was like I I was thinking about what other actor uh, could play Daniel Day-Lewis's character Daniel Plainview in that movie. Sure. And to me Nicolas Cage would be the guy. It would be the strangest performance. It would be weird, but Daniel Day-Lewis's performance is strange anyway. But but I never feel like Nick Cage phones it in. Even in the most ridiculous films like Face Off, like Con Air, like The Rock, he never phones it in. Yeah. And I think even in the, you know, like these what what's happened to him is he's been doing straight a lot of VOD films. I don't know, you know, straight to straight to video films. I mean, we were talking about I mean, we're that's where a lot of this stuff is kind of going anyway. So, if you're looking for pure uh, numerical numbers of work, you're gonna hit a couple of those. Um, I, and I, but I still feel like the interesting thing about him is, is there's a there's a video piece right now that Vanity Fair did this week on him. They, they, they've been doing these videos for a while now where they talk talk to actors about their great roles in their career. And I feel like the thing with Nick Cage is when you listen to him speak, you get the sense that a he loves movies. Yes. Like he he's a really passionate cinephile. Like he loves movies. He knows history of movies. He 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 knows. Uh, a lot about the movie making business and the and the history of performance and acting as well. Yeah, and I feel like what he's doing isn't necessarily, and this is pure speculation, is that he's just trying different directors, like different young filmmakers, and seeing what they can do. And I think that's how a film like Mandy came about yeah. with Nick Cage in the lead. Mm -hmm. But you know, like it's it's what's kind of fun and refreshing about it is there's a, seems to be like a little bit of a lack of pretension about being Nick Cage. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, he's Nick Cage. He's Oscar winner. He's, you know, action hero from the 80s and 90s. You know, like, he could be in the same ballpark as Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, Sylvester Stallone and those guys, a bit younger. But there's no pretension about that. He's like, oh, this is a young filmmaker willing to try something. Let's let's give it a whirl. Let's see what happens with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Roll the dice. And I, I kind of love that about him. It's, you know? I respect the shit out of it. Yeah. Like, I think that it's, it's something that's refreshing. It, Nick Cage in his career is beyond giving a shit. 
and but I mean that in a good way. He's not phoning it in. He's not. Uh, he's not just trying to cash a paycheck. Uh, yeah. he, Although he did do a movie called Paycheck. Uh, yeah, no, no, that was Ben Affleck. Yeah, that was ben. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, close. But but like he, he's the opposite end of the spectrum. I would say, uh, you know, even if we want to go down this route, uh, if on the religious side of things, a more enlightened person just wanting to do it because he's literally trying to just do everything and give everything a shot. He doesn't think that. Like, for instance, a ton of actors, and rightfully so, wouldn't take a project like Mandy because it's not on their trajectory. Yeah. He's beyond that. Whether you have to be an older actor uh, yeah. to, to do that and really make it work, or 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 even if, you know, not every actor even, like, you know, Brian Cranston isn't doing Mandy. Like, yeah. it, it's... Uh, you just... It's, no, it's, no disrespect to Mr. Cranston. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> not at all. What I'm saying is... What I'm saying is there are two paths... To infamy <laughs> in, in <laughs> acting. Infamy. One is cultivating, like, and, and this is outside of s- pure skill and yeah. craft. One is to cultivate your image, go for certain things, make sure you are cast as the it person in whatever thing for a while, and then you can transition to a different thing or reinvent yourself, etc. The cycle continues forever. Or you do what Nick Cage is doing right now, and you just do everything, and then you're known as the person that can do Everything. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, he's been made a fun. There's a, there's a fair amount of fun being poked at Nick Cage as the guy who never says no. And, and the thing well, you just said at the beginning as well, which is like, he's paying off some dit or something like that. Sure, but the, but I think the interesting, you're always going to have haters, and I sometimes myself included am a bit of a Nick Cage hater. Like, there's no question. Yeah. But, but what is truly amazing to me about him and his career is he doesn't give a shit about what I think, about what you think, about what anyone thinks. He wants to try to do interesting stuff, and when you do throw yourself at a million projects, 90% of them are going to be kind of garbage. And and even the 10% of them that are good might not be the best fit with your skill set, but you're going to eventually hit stuff like he has in the past that's been... Great. To speak on that point, the thing here is that he released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies... In 2018. Okay. Uh, one, two, three, four, five in 2017. Uh, it's it's been a, a, a four to five movies a year for the last intense. Yeah, for the oh for a while now actually, uh, probably since 2010. Um, so well, even in 2009, he had five movies. So um, some of these are just voice parts, but doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah it's you know that, that sort of uh, spray and and see what hits kind of thing. I. But uh, honestly, I have a ton of respect for him for doing a movie like Mandy, which is, I think, what we should talk about, uh, given that this is a review of Mandy. To bring it back, uh, we did get a review of Mandy from one of our listeners last week that we read in last week's fantastic episode with um, Simon Koss. Uh, We did uh, Fahrenheit uh, 11.9. Which, yeah, side note, I actually, in the beginning of the thing, this is just me calling myself out, I actually mistakenly, after we intro the movie correctly, I do say Fahrenheit 9.11, I think, like around the two or three minute mark. So apologies for that. I don't think anyone's going to hold us to count. I just, I just, you know, yeah. you like to be professional. I messed up. I like to be, I like to be fucking professional. Let's see what we're doing here. Yeah. All right. In this room with a skeleton and an owl and a fucking uh, Pachamari and some Reaper in a game. So Stephen Press, again, we read this review out last week, wrote in uh, his review on Mandy, and his review was this. Too much style over too little substance. 
honestly, stylistically a derivative take on the heavy metal comic with a five-minute, 48-hour film festival script. And I think what he means there is like a script that was written in five minutes for the 48-hour film festival. Sure. Throwing in a lot of cash and an unfeasibly long runtime for what it is and Nicolas Cage. This sounds better than it actually is. Nothing new, nothing to see. Go watch Legion on TV. Does, a, does the art better and has a story. Um, so... Okay, before we jump, uh, well, no, no, tell us what Mandy is about. Oh, of course. Yeah. I would be absolutely happy to. <laughs> Here we go. Mandy is set in the primal wilderness of 1983, where Red Miller, a broken and haunted man, hunts an unhinged religious sect who slaughtered the love of his life. Okay. Okay. Not uh, wrong. This is directed by uh, Panos Cosmatos. Yeah. Whose uh, previous film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, is a film I've seen. Yeah. Um, I liked it stylistically, but it's not a film I particularly love. Sure. It has a very uh, Stanley Kubrick 2001 kind of vibe to it, which I think you could say carries over into this film a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is his follow-up film. Um, and something that I, I think... Watching the trailer, I, I saw just a couple of images from this film, and I was I was instantly like, I want to see what that guy's doing. Uh -huh. I was curious after seeing his first film. Um, to go into my initial thoughts about this, I think this... We had a conversation, I think, last week where, or a couple of weeks ago where we talked about the movie Searching, where I, where I think I kind of surmised that film as, as a film with flaws, but one that I liked more than I disliked, right. one that I think worked better than I disliked. I think th this is the similar, this is basically the same principle, but an inverse relationship to my like to dislike factor, which is that I really respected what this film was, what it was trying to do, how beautiful this film is. It is a gorgeous looking movie. Um, and it is so stylistically out of the wheelhouse of almost anything happening in cinema today that I just kind of, you have to give it a lot of respect for being so unique, so singular, so much uh, driven by the aesthetic choices of Panos Cosmatos, you know, like of, of his, of his, of the stylistic things that he's interested in. Like, and and uh, uh, Benjamin Loeb, I believe, is the cinema, is the cinematographer, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I really did respect the hell out of this movie. And I think it actually had a couple of really interesting ideas in it as well. That said, it's such a singular one-note kind of film that I found myself, the longer it went on, the less and less I became interested in it. And I found that despite kind of respecting it there was there was a there was little there to latch onto to kind of make me want to 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 think more about this movie um and we'll deal with that in spoilers but i think this film has some interesting ideas about um toxic masculinity for example it has some interesting aesthetic ideas uh it has some beautiful uh, design choices in it uh, you know this is one of the last scores by johan johansson who died uh, just this year yeah um so it's a, it's a beautifully it's a beautifully created singular world, but not one that I kind of felt that there was much to explore outside what I had kind of seen. I hmm, I don't think hmm, <laughs> I don't think this movie actually has a ton to say. I think this movie is stylized AF. Mm. I think the individual scenes and sequences from a visual and um, 
compositional and lighting standpoint mm. are, are gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I but I don't think the film itself uh, has a clear enough purpose or goal outside of let's make something look really trippy. Because what they do is they take a standardized revenge fantasy uh, storyline that we've seen in a tale as old as time yeah. uh, and uh, and basically ratchet that up through 11 and make you watch it through a lava lamp. <laughs> yeah. um, and which is cool. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I... I this is a film that, in the beginning of it, when like the first thirty minutes, I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna be thinking about this for a long time. Like, what does this all mean?" And like, you know, da 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 da. And by the end of it, I was like, "Nothing. It means nothing." <laughs> yeah. And and whether or not that's true, because you know, a filmmaker, I'm sure, is it has insight to this that I'm not getting or from it. But it didn't interest me enough to go hunt for that. Right. Um. I, the the score was dope. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me a lot of I know it was Johan Johansson's uh, thing, but it reminded me a lot of my boy uh, John Carpenter a little bit in certain spots, very Synthian moments. Yeah. Um, I really uh, I really dug um the 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 one part I felt like there there was a real attention to detail was the way a cult. Works. Right. I listen to a lot of listen to a lot of true true crime podcasts. Yeah, what a cis white male listening to true crime podcasts? Yeah. Oh my god. Hot take. <laughs> um. But um. I watch. I listen to a lot of uh, last podcast on the left, which mm-hmm. is my absolute favorite. Shout out to those guys. Mm-hmm. Um. The, and 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 through listening to them over the years, I've kind of gathered like what specific type things uh, from cult leaders like are are realistic. In, in in you know behaviors that they tend to have and Jer- Jeremiah I think the guy's name was yeah um he, by Linus Roach. Yeah, yeah he uh, elicits ev- almost every one of them he yeah. he both praises and then tears you down instantly like a huge amount of praise to a follower and then rips them another asshole like sort of and it's that uh is a consistent use of cultists uh cult leaders to sort of like keep you off your toes and want you to still like be loved and not quite know where you're going to stand with them yeah there was that um there was um there was uh the way that he dealt with um i'm trying to remember the other things the the way that he dealt with um sort of like the scripture aspect of it and wanting to like make himself, uh, you know, basically talking himself up so much that he started to believe it. Even the parts in the mirror when he's like, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. Never doubt yourself. And then never doubt yourself. Like there's just a ton sort of there. So I really liked those moments. Outside of that, Mm -hmm. uh, I think this was kind of, uh, this was... This felt like this is what I'll say. This felt like a dumb movie trying to look like a smart movie. Yeah, I, I, and yeah, I don't disagree with that. And maybe I'm the dumb one <laughs> for not getting what this film was trying to say—the bigger metatextual commentary on life, the universe, and everything. But I love looking for meaning and shit. Yeah. So even stuff and look, we'll go back to sort of uh, you know. Uh, Marvel-esque shit, right? I look for meaning for in that stuff all the time because I think there's enough care there in those films that they, even if it's not saying something deep, they might be saying something very simple. Yeah. And if it's not blatant, I care enough about the product because it interests me to look for it deeper. This is something that it didn't grab me enough to bother looking for anything deeper than what it was showing me. What it was showing me was beautiful and terrifying, 
but I honestly, if we weren't having this conversation about the movie, I wouldn't have a conversation about the movie. So this comes back to we had a conversation a little while back about uh, style versus substance, and I think we do, that was in reference to our Speed Racer episode in terms of uh, how style can be substance uh, in that case. And I think the thing that's that's that is hard to dismiss in this case, which is uh, where. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, by the way. I think there is um, uh, a difficulty... Like, th- there's a difficulty in recommending this film to yeah. any, to people unless they have a really specific uh, sort of uh, passion about these kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the tricky thing here is that the style is so overwhelming and is so unique and is so connected to things that are happening on screen. You know, like there's this... Uh, you know, I think uh, one of our listeners, uh, uh, Jonathan Blade, the Blade, um, <laughs> Joe Blade, um, did say something along the lines of like, this is basically almost like a Clive Barker, Hellraiser type thing viewed through the lens of someone taking LSD and bath salts, heavy emphasis on the bath salts. Um, and and I don't disagree with that. Like, I, I, I think this there is a, there is a, a, a sort of, uh, hallucinatory quality of this film that is beautifully integrated with its visual choices. You know, the, the sequence where uh, Jeremiah is talking directly to Mandy and we see her face superimposed in, uh, with that her. That was awesome. It's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. And then the, the sequence where like this, the, she's hallucinating because she's being stung by this like... Yep, the bug with the drugs. Bug bug with the drugs, yeah. <laughs> drug bugs. Drug bugs. Um, Hashtag drug bugs. Uh, that, you know, I think... Uh, it, and the time trails that are left behind there is really gorgeous. The it's, face thing also, yeah. another thing about cultists, they make sure that that you start to see your their mm-hmm. thoughts as your thoughts. Right, yeah. Cult leaders always do that, and they're, they're sort of like... And that's what sort of a direct eye contact or forcing cultists to look in a mirror with you. There's sort of things that... that so that was very, again, true to cult leaders. So, well, I loved... I, I guess basically uh, my trajectory through this film was that I kind of loved it up until uh, Mandy's death. And and the reason is, is that uh, I thought the scene where Jeremiah is giving his speech to Mandy about, like, you know, something along the lines of... And he said to me that you are not separate from all that is and you are one uh, and therefore all that is is yours and therefore you can take it was sort of an interesting commentary about like this entitled male sort of entitled cultist kind of leader who's a failed musician but you know has basically decided that everyone else was wrong (laughs) except him um, and and has created a cult based around that I thought all that stuff was really interesting I thought the the idea that 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 they used actual demons of some description uh, or some kind you know like uh, a motorcycle gang that has taken too much LSD and has never come back and is like slowly morphed into these right. into these sort of like ethereal Clive Barker-esque creatures. All really cool stuff, really fascinating, really beautiful. Um, but the second that that Mandy dies and mm-hmm. this becomes Nicolas Cage's film uh, of revenge, I, that's the point at which the film became one note. And I thought the other thing about that is is that that's also it's such a old school kind of film. It felt very death wish, you know, like yeah. they even say in the movie, you have a death wish, you know, and it's set in 1983 Reagan era, you know, Ronald Reagan era is sort of, uh, um, commentary is in the beginning when he's in the radio. Oh, yeah, about, about Americans and, don't like drugs and pornography. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that was kind of reflected <laughs> in the cinema where, where I people, nailed that Ronald Reagan, uh, impersonation. Yeah, he did. It was, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, it was reflected in the cinema of the two of the period again, uh, with films like death wish where, uh, where you had films that were outwardly 
pushing the boundaries of what could be done in film in terms of violence and gore and sex uh, because that was you know a, a sort of contrary to what was happening in the real world or uh, you know what was perceived to be happening in the real world again all really interesting stuff but if you think about it in in sort of the context of revenge films or you know seeking revenge films um a there's not a lot of pleasure to be derived from mm-hmm. the actual you know execution of of one's nemesis or nemesi yeah um so it wasn't a lot of pleasure from that even when he like crafts this like metallic axe what the shit you know like again beautiful gorgeous love the aesthetic love the sort of look and feel of it it's like they watched the last season of buffy right because there's a whole thing about a slayer axe it looks just like that only not red it also felt like the heavy metal comics as i think as steven Uh, yeah steven priest said as well i i loved all that but it but there was no sense of escalation or questioning and this is a year when uh you didn't review this film but we reviewed it on this podcast um you you were never really here. Yep. Um, with Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Lynn Ramsey, and that is a revenge film that touches on exactly the same topics as all of this. You know, like the idea of mas- you know, like this failed masculinity, this idea of 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 uh, thinking that masculinity is about the savior of women, all that sort of stuff. And and that movie goes out of its way to defy our expectations in that mo- uh-huh. in that model. And this is n- one that sort of sits up some of those expectations. You know, with Mandy's kind of rejection of Jeremiah. But then, but then, just becomes like this male sort of revenge violence fantasy that isn't all that pleasurable. No, it's beautiful to look at. It's really, it's kind of fun seeing Nick Cage freak out at certain moments, but not. He doesn't go full Cage. He does, but he does only in certain small parts. Yeah, and at this point, full Cage, I don't care. Right. I I don't care. Like, it's because, and honestly, it goes straight back to doing five or six films a year. Right. Like, you know, if I think Nick Cage is a good actor. Right. Um, Yeah, I think he's a good actor. I think what's something that damages people thinking of him as a good actor is the Nick Cage freakout moments. Because when not used properly, and in this film, I don't think they're used properly. They come off as like hokey or like, oh, there it is. There's the I'll be back of this film. Like, you know what? Like, it's just sort of catchphrasy. And um, it gets almost as cheesy as the Goblin Mac and Cheese, Goblin Cheddar Mac and Cheese commercial, which was one of my favorite parts of this this movie. But that was an odd sort of stab at humor in this movie that. It was like, I was like, oh, I think that's funny, but not in the scene that it's in. I didn't fully understand why for those of you. I mean, you should watch it and figure this out. But after a horrific, uh, mm. spoilers, Mandy dies. Um, the the Nick Cage goes back into his house that was previously, you know, overrun with cultists. Mm. And the TV is on and there's a commercial for, it looks like a cheesy 80s commercial, but it's like a little bit twisted for Goblin yeah. Cheddar Mac and Cheese. Remember the, the, those movies? Remember Ghoulies? Yeah, yeah. And they look like Boglins, like, yeah. uh, you know, but like it's Goblin and mac and cheese like puppets and it was just and sort of vomit mac and, and they cheese. vomit mac and cheese yeah. into the bowl and like i was like okay yeah and it was at that moment again not that i didn't think the commercial was funny but it was at that moment i was like i don't know if this movie has anything to say because i think i think our thoughts kind of uh mirror shahir we were we were excited for the meaning and the exploration up until after mandy right. died and then after that we had a funny commercial. Yeah. We had a Nick Cage being Nick Cage freak out going full cage in a bathroom. Yeah. 
Um, we then just have him crafting weapons and going to people's places that we haven't seen before, nor do we care about. We'd seen all those characters before. But we hadn't seen uh, the the uh, guy he gets the crossbow from. We hadn't seen... Oh, we hadn't seen Bill Duke. Yeah. yeah. But, but We hadn't seen um, the guy with the tiger. Yeah. No, so, but th- that guy was explained by Bill Duke. So everyone... That was he, he? Yeah. He was like the, the guy that makes the LSD. Oh. So uh, that was who that character was. He was he was obviously, and he you know I guess in the sort of the mythic quality of this film, he was the mage or the the wizard or something like that that had cra- you know like been crafted this world that they that they existed in. Sure, uh, you know it's a it, uh, and and Bill Duke explains as well about the the idea that the bikers had taken this LSD and had never come back and it slowly morphed into this thing. I thought it would have been interesting if, for example. Um, what eventually happens is Nick Cage slowly morphs into one of those characters because he he takes he, yeah he, he t- licks random drug mayonnaise he, out of a jar at the fucking biker's house yeah, yeah. which I think is the LSD yeah oh it is yeah. it's like it's like literally Pearl's Jam like right. that's what it is <laughs> and uh, is that what you call it Pearl's Jam well so per- <laughs> the, the band Pearl Jam yeah. there's a bunch of rumors about why they were Pearl Jam and oh, it yeah, was about, about that. it was uh, his aunt Pearl actually used to make uh, some sort of mayonnaise or something like that and it was Pearl's Jam I don't know it's, it's the whole weird thing I don't even know if that's that's just a rumor that I'd heard for one point in time so I just made the reference but <laughs> <laughs> so in conjunction so e- even before let's let's back up a little bit even before when i was still on board with this film before man mandy's untimely um uh, fire fire moment <laughs> death by fire um incineration yeah the the writing of this was on a knife's edge for me yeah um, the line I said in the beginning, everything the cultist said, really outside of Jeremiah, even some of the stuff Jeremiah said, but he's like, supposed to be a crazy cultist, so it was kind of fine. But like every character spoke like they were in a cult anyway. Yeah. And I. <laughs> it felt like what I would have thought the pinnacle of like deep, like dark writing would have been like my off year before college. Right, yeah. There's a student film quality to this There's, whole thing. Yeah, and it's like every line was like the most just dripping with wanting you to think whatever fucking drivel they were talking about had like some deep purpose and dark meaning. And it's, it look, Lovecraft, this movie ain't like yeah. it, it, they, they, the lines are there and the, and the verbs and the adjectives are being said, but in no way does any of it ever come off as meaningful. It comes off as hokey. I think the stuff around Jeremiah is interesting. Like, it, I but think it's it's that 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 is me reaching to say it. The thing that is that's difficult that I think both of us are struggling with with this film, right? Is you can't dismiss it. Like you can't just go, "This is a bad movie." No, no, no. You know and, what I mean? Uh, that, and I think, well, I I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a very specific kind of movie and has a very specific audience in mind and it is you know people seem to be enjoying it i just think that 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 narratively it doesn't quite connect both its astonishing visuals and its thematic concerns at the first half of the movie with the end of the movie here's the deal here's how i tell if i'm if i don't even say good movie or bad movie i didn't like this movie Mm -hmm. overall and the re and the reason is i think i can boil it down to this could i have enjoyed this the style of thing that this is if it was boiled down to like a seven minute music video mm. yep i yeah. would have gotten the exact amount of enjoyment out of it so why spend two hours right. like it's it's uh it's 
I, but also, let's keep in mind, I am someone who, I drink, but I don't do drugs. Right. Uh, a lot of my friends that uh, I've seen, you know, on Twitter or whoever, uh, that that uh, have, you know, that do recreational mind-altering things uh, are, are eating this shit up. And I guarantee you they didn't see it sober. Yeah. Like, I imagine that this could probably be a transcendent experience if you had some sort of chemicals coursing through you at the time. Um, but I don't think that's a... I don't think that is a uh, a lauded craft point of a film. I, I I just I don't like. I feel like I don't know. I I enjoy real dumb shit when I'm drunk, but that doesn't make the dumb shit good. Right. Right. Like so. I don't know. Again, I, good and bad is wrong in this case. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it because I felt like it was like if. If this was jam on toast, it was the jam was spread too thin and the toast was like olive loaf and burnt. I was just like, eh, like the jam's kind of good and I can power through this olive loaf, but man, wish there was more jam. So let's let's try and break this down a little bit. Break it clearer, down. Um, because because I think the the film operates on a level that is kind of mythic in some way. Like it kind of escalates the 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 thing that's also difficult about this is the style is so overwhelming and so powerful and very well executed. Yeah. That that l narrative issues don't necessarily apply. Like it's it's difficult to like say, well, it doesn't make sense that the crossbow was here and it doesn't make sense that the axe was here. None of that stuff really matters. I stopped paying attention to that. L look, mm -hmm. Nicholas Cage can warp to the perfect vantage point for a crossbow as quick as anybody wants. I, I don't care. Yeah. He knows exactly where everything is. I don't care. This read like an actual mythological like, and then the person was here. And you're yeah. like, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's not something that I'm going to hold against this movie. No, no. I, if, I, I, if I wanted to poke logical holes into here, woo, get yeah. me the fucking uh, dart gun. Yeah, yeah. It's it, The logic holes don't necessarily apply to this movie. Movie, and I think the style kind of helps it do that, um, you know, because like the end of the film is is uh, basically at the in a tunnel. It, it, the, 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 the church that is being built is like this sort of red illuminated tunnel inside a canyon somewhere. And it makes no sense how they got there or what they're doing there, yada, yada, yada. But like it operates on that sort of like Hodorowsky kind of, you know, Alejandro Hodorowsky kind of level where where substantive uh, substantive ideas are pushed through style you know so the 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 church image being the sort of pyramid kind of ties and connects to like this whole idea of the triangle and triptych that that yeah. jeremiah is kind of like about anyway there's so, two moons in the sky at yeah, the end yeah and i i i kind of again i have a lot of respect for that because i think it takes a lot of chutzpah to do that with a big movie star in your movie. And it, it requires a lot, like from the movie star, for example, so having someone like Nicolas Cage kind of going, yeah, this is, you know, like we're going to be fighting demons. I think and we determined, though, that it doesn't take a lot for Nick Cage <laughs> to say yeah to that. Like, well, but, So I'm not going to give props on that. You give Nicolas Cage anything and then he's like, cool, great. But here's the thing, is that this is not a small production either. No. So... so so convincing a lot of people to go along with this really unique singular vision, I think, takes a lot of skill. And, and it takes a lot to not be, uh, not to have, not, n nothing feels diluted from, from the point of view of, like, the vision of the director. Like, I don't think, there's nothing in this that says this was not what the director intended. You know, like, like everything feels very much 
Like this is what I intended to make. Yes. Like it or lo- like it or lump it. This is what it is. Like it or lump it. Yeah, I know. We're going right back to nineteen. That was probably nineteen ninety-seven. I've never like heard that before. Oh, you remember? That? Like, like it or lump it. Uh, the was that the presidents of the United States lump. Okay. Yeah. L- we, yeah. Lump sat alone at a buggy yeah, marsh. Yeah, totally yeah, emotionless separate know, we, heart. What? I, I used to always say, like it or lump it. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's my singular vision. Maybe that's my singular world. I think we got to take some drugs. <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> so, and then when it, you know, like when it stretches out into this area of the myth, you know, there's animated sequences in this which suggest that Mandy is this sort of metaphysical presence in the world. There's this. Um, Do they suggest that though? I, I think the film visually suggests that. I and think that, they suggest that in his dreams. She's there in the car with him at the end, you know, like staring sure. at him. He's freed her. Um, there's an interesting thing with that story that she tells at the beginning about the abuse, like the her father, like bringing those birds uh, yep. in a sack and then everyone, you know, stabbing, you know, smashing them with a crowbar. And essentially, Nick Cage is kind of takes that role towards the end where he's like smashing her enemies through a crowbar. So it's kind of this is, but again. The other thing that I really like about this film, and and it's something that I really uh, I think I'm drawn to as well, is that there's a lot of room to breathe in this movie there's, for for the audience to kind of inject their own interpretation. Like no one is explaining exactly how this world works or how the mythology of it works or why it looks the way it does or anything like that. It just does look like that, and I and I kind of. I like that open air kind of feel to it. You know, like I like that sense of being able to breathe through a movie and think about it in my own terms. So in that way, the pacing of this film, let's even go with the pacing of the editing. Mm. Ton of long shots. Listeners of this show normally know that I don't particularly like long pan- like long hanging, lilting, zooming in and out shots in right. my movies. I don't generally like that. Up until this point, didn't notice it. Therefore, from a cinematography standpoint, it worked. Yeah. Um. It gave you the the correct amount of emotional gravitas. Where other movies, I'll be like, come on, like just fucking move. And this movie, I for for all of my dislike of it, I guess. Yeah. I was never like, is it over yet? Right. Um. Because there was always something new visually for me to look at. Right. Um. I don't think. Again, I feel like I, I I don't want to insult it more, but like I do feel like this is a movie that's pretending to be smarter than it is. This is the per, this is the the classmate that didn't quite do the homework but read the cliff notes and was like da, 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 da. like yeah. it's because I think they do kind of explain exactly why everything looks the way it is. Uh it's it's a very drug-induced thing. Every time a character is uh is, it, 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 it has an interaction with a substance, the look of the film changes. Even when characters aren't on it, that's the sort of most normal stuff until they hit a dream state. Um, it's also, it's, but it, but it's not explained by characters telling you what's happening. It's except kind of, Duke in the in the in the. Well, he's not explaining the the look and feel of the film. He's just explain. He's giving. I think he's he he does a, enough to kind of give you some context. Like sure. And it feels like I, I don't know if this was the case, and I don't think it's the case. But but it feels like that was a scene that was inserted because if it wasn't there, the movie would just be cuckoo bananas. Like I mean, you need that scene to like hold. Well, together. here's the question though. And now I'm just going to be devil's advocate. Does that scene weaken the argument 
of this is just how this world looks because you literally have a full scene that is just exposition as to why. Like, if you really wanted to go down that, and I'm not saying yes or no, I'm just posing the question. Right. If you wanted to go down this whole thing, like, you wouldn't need an explanation of why the bikers are like that. You wouldn't need an explanation of, oh, there's this guy that makes all this bad LSD. Like, I, I think it's a the the injection of the right amount of exposition to kind of help us along. But even I don't think it's giving us a full explanation of why the world is the way the, the world is. I, I kind of think it. I does. think it's just giving us enough information to help us along for the re- the second half of the movie. I but but so I think everything that I was just talking about in terms of that you know visual space and like the idea that the visual cues are so broad and mythic and there's this sort of circular logic to the film and it's so insular. I, that's all me praising. The things that I liked about yeah. the film. Inevitably, I I like you once the film became. No, I like you too. Uh, well, yeah, I I don't I like you a lot, man. <laughs> uh, once the film became Nicolas Cage dispatching enemies, uh, I I found that the film was c- kind of very one note and and again not pleasurable and not with much to say beyond this is a revenge story. And I think and I, and I think that's a real shame given how kind of open and interesting the first half was. Um, uh, and and, and, it, and, and the, the, the sort of negative trajectory on it is it's such a classic male revenge story in a world where we, you know, and in a world that doesn't, it should be saying something more about that if you're going to do it. See, uh, to the point where I don't even think, that it, it, I was interested that you brought the toxic masculinity thing into it because I don't think this movie actually functions as a commentary on toxic masculinity. I think it uses toxic masculinity in the same way all of these revenge movies do. I don't think anywhere it gave any sort of commentary on that it's a problem other than, oh, villains tend to be toxic and masculine. I think I think it... it the problem there isn't, uh, and we this is our searching conversation again. But it's it's a case of execution for me. I think I think it, you know, and your point of like it's the the movie that wants to be smarter than it actually is, kind of thing. I think it wants to be that, and it it has some inklings of mm. that, but I don't think it executes it very well. And I think and I think the problem is is that Nicolas Cage's character doesn't embody that as there's no strong theme through line kind of connecting the first half and the second half of this movie. And that's where the failure of the film is. You know, like it doesn't really land or connect. Because he doesn't defeat them other than using his own sort of rage, toxic toxic masculinity to beat the other people. Like, so yeah, I just feel like if that was something they were going for, it falls. And I, and I can see the thing about that as well is I don't want to be like a stickler for like, Oh, the movie has to be about a singular theme. Of course not. You know, like movies can do, can just be pleasurable in the way that like, for example, Robert Rodriguez's film Disparado is a, is a real throwback Uh film, but, but you know, like engages in the pleasure. Unfortunately, this film outside of the aesthetic pleasure is not particularly innovative yeah. or pleasurable. And like you know like I don't find any of the the you know for example the man landing on the the, the sort of uh second penultimate uh, henchman mm-hmm. landing on his chainsaw uh and like bludgeoning to death. There's, there's no sort of don't care. horror sort of if uh ex- um extrapolated, you know, like over-the-top kind of pleasure in that. You know? It also felt a lot of the bigger fight scenes, the chainsaw fight, the fight in front of the burning car between some of these Hellraiser bikers. Yeah. Uh, 
the visual trick in all of the action sequences in this movie gets old fast. And yeah. that visual trick is beautifully lit and smoked backgrounds and silhouette. Yeah. And that's great. Uh, but I also don't like it. It's the choreography not, of those scenes was actually pretty poor. It was fine. It was serviceable. I mean, it's you're having a chainsaw sword fight. Yeah. I don't know what. Like. I don't know. But that, but I guess that's, you know, like, like you could argue the thing about Kill Bill, for example, that that works is that it 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 takes the the sort of, you know, and this film is is, is calling back those other movies through the Reagan the the inclusion of being 1983 through the inclusion of the the phrase death wish you know like it's it's making mention of those kinds of films and i think the style embodies like a sense of someone who loves those kinds of movies and that's right. what the film is but it's not like actually taking though that sort of idea of the vengeance film and sort of having fun with it it seems to just be executing it's it. having fun with it by executing it it's not doing anything with it it's yeah, not like doing for any- example you know scenes in kill bill where you're like oh he loves these kinds of movies yeah and he wants to like have fun with that idea you know yeah. like the, the fight scenes have this sort of like beautiful artistic choreography to them and they they feel like someone who wants to take the idea and escalate it into some into something else i think that's that's the real problem the other side of it though is like i i again the vision was so singular the, the ideas were so cool i was like i kind of want to see this director uh, be given some other material where he can infuse this style on somebody else's material. I feel like this is something where it's like, so I'm, I, I, I know how food analogies have just become my kind of yeah, thing. Your go-to. This is this film is fluff, and I don't mean that as in nothing in it is meaningful and negligent, and you shouldn't take it, you shouldn't think about it or whatever. What I'm saying is the actual food fluff. Have you yeah. ever had fluff like a fluffer nutter? Like it's basically like melted, half melted marshmallow you put on sandwiches. I've had candy floss. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that is. No, you know, like uh, you go to the the circus and stuff, and they candy floss. Candy? You mean cotton candy? Cotton candy. Yeah. Oh cool. wow! Cool There's floss. a cultural touch point we're gonna have to come back to. Yeah. Uh, no, so fluff is basically comes in a jar, yeah. and it's called fluff. And you you have make peanut butter and fluff sandwiches. You can put it as sort of like a it. it you, you should never eat a spoonful of fluff by itself. It's just you heard it here first. It's gentlemen. not. It's not <laughs> worth it. Let me tell you from personal experience. Um, this movie is the food item fluff, yeah. and and the and the and the the style of it even in, in that sense. So I would love to see what amazing combinations that you could put with other things. Yeah. Di- you know, different writer, you know, different you, other stuff. Yeah. You know what I, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I, but there have been working on a masters of the universe film for like ever right now to try and, to try and put yeah. like masters of the universe into context for the, for this current generation. I think the rights have just reverted back uh, to Mattel or something like that. But, Great. But, but people have been trying to make a Master of the Universe movie. When I watched this, I was like, I would kind of love to see this guy's take on Master of the Universe. Like, I, I think it'd be weird, but I think that's what I would want to see from Master sure. of the Universe. That you know, would like, be a nice, interesting take rather than just remaking something again. Exactly. And I was like, though, hold on. <laughs> half of this, it's 100% true. The other half is this, this film... Is a standard revenge film. Yeah, and that and you yeah. want to take the style part. I want to take I want to take what the director does stylistically and their vision and apply it to a Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I mean Have that you, was the first thing I thought of, but I but I'm sure there are millions sure. of ways. Have you do. seen? You said you saw his other film. Mm-hmm. So you, are you confident that this is the director's vision and not the cinematographer's sort of like? Yeah, this okay. is his vision. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to make sure because yeah. I didn't I didn't know. Um, 
here's here's sort of because we're getting to the end of this. I had sort of a question for you because I wanted to figure out like I was trying to dissect meaning as best I could until I decided I didn't care. But one thing <laughs> that kept coming back was the tiger. Okay, the, the tiger one, the in the cage, the one on his jacket, on his shirt. On his shirt. Yeah. And then it was by the moons at the end. Yeah. And I was like, who, what does the, what do you think the tiger represents you here? Because I wasn't quite sure. I think it's open to interpretation. Uh, so it's only seen in the context of Nicolas Cage. It's never seen in the context of Mandy or uh, Jeremiah. So I think the, the tiger represents like uh, a sort of, pent up rage that and you know like the, the we've seen at the very beginning of the film that Nicolas Cage is uh perhaps it, it's sort of a a placated man a man who has like discovered his his comfort and his safety you know like he even says at the beginning of the film uh uh maybe we should leave this place and she's like no we should never leave this place and he and we see them kind of interacting in this way that is entirely non-confrontational it is like just this loving safe place that this this couple inhabit and then he's wearing that tiger shirt uh once once he makes the decision that he's going to enact revenge you know once he saves himself from the barbed wire and he goes back to the bathroom and he drinks alcohol remember at the very beginning of the film he rejects a beer yeah. Like someone offers him a beer. So it's probably some su suggestion. I don't know. There's a light suggestion that he may have been, that 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 he may have, you know, like rejected all drugs and alcohol and hallucinogens and then is like re-emerging there. And I think the, the tiger being let out of the cage is literally that metaphor of the rage being let out of the cage, out of the Nicolas Cage. I think... He already got his rage out, though. That's yeah. the thing. Like, timing-wise, that doesn't make sense because he already did that. He's he doesn't already... do anything different in the in the church pit. But that's where we see those two images, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, so I think it's, I, that's the way I would interpret it. Um, but, you know, it's open to interpretation and uh, it would require a couple more viewings to, like, really, like, craft something there. But it's, but it's clear that it's a direct... Uh, it's a it's a very um, uh, deliberate choice to use the tiger imagery in those sequences um, to I tell think, a story. I think it's a deliberate choice, but again, it feels like something that is crafted well enough to make us go back and look for meaning. But well, but, I mean, how do how do deliberate choices work? You know, like you're deliberate not, choices mean so. Okay, if I was the filmmaker, yeah. and I'm like, okay, uh, this I I want to after I've written my script or after I've come up with whatever I'm doing, uh, the the tiger is going to represent. Like, let's say your interpretation is 100 percent correct yeah. that it represents Nicolas Cage and it represents the rage being let out of the cage, as it were, mm -hmm. and um, and yada yada yada. So I would build my imagery around that. And, and the moments where it happens in the story to have that make the most sense. Here, it doesn't do that. It, it again, you know, maybe chronology is not something this film cares about, but like the, the times when he finally meets a tiger in the cage and it's let out of the cage, the emotional tiger or the rage tiger has already been let out of the cage. We don't need to see that at this point because it's already happened. So if that's him and that's happening now, then who what, then what happened before? Like, my point is this. Right. I don't think that that the 
if the director has a specific thing that that tiger say represents, it is not implemented in a clear enough way to make something the definitive way. I think, because I've done this in writing before, where if I want people to think about something, but I don't really have an answer for what exactly it's supposed to be, you give enough information to have people come up with yeah. interpretations. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but when that's sort of outside of a visual style, all you're offering throughout a very standardized film that's when you lose me. Right. So, and I, I, I would agree with you that there is a, a, a sort of an approach to thematic visual implementation that yeah. is that you know, like some filmmakers use really well. So, the 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 example I'm thinking about is uh, a boot is a 2001: <laughs> A Space Odyssey. The use of uh, circular global imagery. Yeah. The idea of circles continually turning over, which reflects the idea that the civilization continues and rotates around and moves in, in circular fashion. Mm -hmm. you know? So there's a connection between the thematic and the visuals, and it and kind of it plays together, and it evolves as the film goes on. Sure. I think we've already established that the problem here is that the film doesn't evolve past the 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 point at which Mandy dies. And unfortunately, that's a sort of failure in the narrative stuff. I think the the imagery again, but the the imagery is so striking and powerful and works that that you can interpret it. And if and if you the thing about interpretive analysis as well is that it is in the eye of the beholder in some ways, as long as you can provide evidence to support your reading of it. Um, and I think I think for me, there's enough in the tiger imagery and the idea that he rejects the the drink and then you know like goes full alcohol, uh, you know like alcohol inducing at the at the moment of crisis, you know, and he's wearing that tiger thing. Yeah. There's enough there for me to kind of say it. I don't think it's the strongest thing in the world. Okay. Um. But but you know, there's enough there. The 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 thing I was sort of more curious about is the way in which the the sort of iconic almost Norse Norse mythology was used in the way that you know like the the book that she's reading the 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 secret of the serpent or the search the seeker of the serpent's eye or something like that sure um and the way that the final image of the film transposes the sort of mythic sort of uh, two moons slash you know kind of alien planet i was curious as to how that worked not being too steeped in that sort of fantasy mythological lore and also the way in which the um the sort of animated sequences play i think there is a potential reading in this film to suggest that that the second half of this film is mandy's fantasy of how her life could be redeemed after her death because we cut back to these like animated sequences and there's this one in particular where she pulls out some sort of stone or orb from uh, from a carcass of an animal and holds it up in the air and kind of like looks at it triumphantly. I think it's potential. It would take a few more viewings to kind of see it. But I was kind of, again, I don't think it's the strongest idea. It's not as strong as, for example, in uh, You Were Never Really Here, the way in which that film goes out of its way to dissatisfy the audience expectation of masculine violence. Um, I think there's, in the, the thing here is that there's interesting ideas really available to you to kind of interpret. And I, and I think you could make a kind of interpretation of it if you did the work. Um, so those are just some suggestions. True. I guess going into my sort of final thought then at this point is the film didn't interest me enough to do the work. Right. Um, a film like Mother interested me enough to do the work. Right. 
Um, I walked out of that film with one thought. I went and watched it again, did some research, came out with another thought. I've seen that movie three times now, and each time I come out with sort of a different, in, uh, like, and I feel like not not a fully different interpretation, but like I'm actually honing in on what I believe that film is trying to say, and I can I can argue that very very mm. solidly. Even yeah. if I'm wrong, I think I have a good base yeah. a bedrock. This is a film. I don't think really you'd ever be able to actually do that with because it's so it plays it fast and loose. Um, I will say again, visuals stunning, but I could have much rather I would have loved to see this as like a gunship, the band gunship music video and just like called it a day at like 12 minutes. Right. Um, I think honestly, there's a super cut out there. Someone make that to a gunship <laughs> song. That would be dope. It was written like a goth college student wrote it, and I should know because I was one. Yeah. Um, so that didn't do me any favors. Um, it did hit on uh, very accurately how cults operate, even outside, you know, outside of using an ocarina to summon LSD Hellraiser bikers, um, which was neat. But I also, I don't know what these bikers just wait outside to. Again, that's a logical problem. But like, wait outside here in ocarina, and then they come riding out. Like, cool. I was hoping was that they that were the actually buggy. Not the, no, not no, no, the no, nails no. in the head and the no, 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 and the no, knife no. penis. No, and the... Uh, the whole thing that is again that that's me nitpicking. Even when I said that's not even worth it, it was just something that like at that moment in the film, you didn't know if they were supernatural or not. Mm because the whole thing is a little bit supernatural. Um, it did come off as kind of a dumb power fantasy at the end. Yeah, It's just a man going and just uh, exacting vengeance in interesting and weird and, and fucked up ways to people that have wronged him and his loved ones. Um, it's like, I was trying to think of like a a analogies of like what this film is like, but it's like, it's like evil dead without the humor. Yeah. It's like a uh, cabin in the woods with nothing to say. <laughs> It's like uh, drive angry without like the self-aware joy yeah. of it. And and when when I look at the my other options of where to get the pieces that I think this movie is reaching for me to get in a much easier and much more enjoyable package, I will always go to those other things. Right. However, is this something uh, in one aspect, particularly the visuals, that I found innovative and interesting and beautiful in parts? Yes. Is it something that I can wholeheartedly recommend to more than 3% of my movie-going friends? No. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, it's a similar boat, which is that I think it's a, a beautiful, uh, sort of astonishing vision, but one that has not too much... Substance, substantive quality behind it, which I think echoes Stephen uh, Stephen's review as well. Um, but the to me the vision, I always appreciate a vision being so unique and so out of the out of the box and so and doing it with a big movie star and sure. you know, like I I love that and I love the fact that this film has a lot of space to breathe. I don't recommend it highly to a lot of people. I think. You know, there was a case we talked about, uh, or a film we talked about, where the director said, "I want to make a film for one guy who loves it." You know, like yeah. yeah. And I think this is a, this is one of those cases where, like, the people that love this film will love this film. Um, the people who are kind of casually trying to find a movie will pro most likely not enjoy it, and the people who don't have uh, leanings towards this type of movie will probably hate it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it, it's sort of a unique take on that, but I. I enjoyed that I saw it. I enjoyed that I saw it on the big screen. I enjoyed that I was able to see a movie that's playing on the big screen yeah. in my in my home theater. Um, I enjoyed the aesthetics of it. It it 
it's the kind of film where I would probably reference this when I'm making a project from now on as like a as a oh remember with the the time the the sort of hallucinatory sh- color shifts in Mandy you know because the 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 vision is so striking you can use it as your cinematography reel yeah. uh, reference yeah all all day so I think I think it works in that respect and I and I liked it on that respect I don't think there's a lot to go there and and a lot more to chew on the, this and it's unfortunate that that is the case but I also like this director I like that his vision is so unique I would like to see what he does with somebody Same. else's material I and, like that idea yeah and I would I would be and I like that the movie exists like there I've 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 read some reviews where people are like why make this movie what are you trying to say and I'm like no 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 I like that this is such a weird oddity and it's so strange and it's so thing and it doesn't work but I like that someone, you know, like pitched at this thing and was able to pull it together. Like there's no, it, it, it's got to be clear here. There's a distinction between films that fail because there's a failure of craftsmanship. This is not one of those films. Right. This is a, this is a failure of, of well, depth of, depth of, of thematic weight beyond the craftsmanship. And that's a failure of connectivity of craftsmanship, not necessarily craftsmanship itself. Like, for instance, there are pieces of craftsmanship, craftspersonship, that the the this movie excels at, but there's other parts that it doesn't. And yeah. some and most of it is actually the connective tissue between all of the things. I guess what I mean by that also is like, um, there's no sense that this is not the film that this director wanted to make. Sure. That's that's what I want to mean. You know, like it's very it feels very much like for better or for worse, this is the film. Like it or lump it. So here we go. <laughs> but it is a film. You're calling it a film. Because yeah. sometimes movies that you have said similar things to about uh, Give me an example. in the past, uh, I believe Jurassic World. Right. You called not a film. Yeah, and I stand by that. I, but <laughs> we, I, we don't have the time to get back into that. But I'm look, just curious. I'm slowly <laughs> gathering my Shahir algorithm of what what uh, what is considered a film is slowly always building on itself. <laughs> um, and I, I don't want to get into that conversation right now, and we'll, we'll sort of come back to it. But I just wanted to ask, so you think this Mandy is a film, which I agree. But I also think Jurassic World is a film. But that's beside the point. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're going to inject your final thought on that, uh, we should have a we should have a different conversation about abstractions and and the idea of how to use abstractions. What do you mean? You mean how to use an abstraction like this is not a film in the context of a conversation about? Movies. Do you just mean like a noun? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a broader conversation to have. Let's but... roll it into something else. I'm sorry to bring it up. I just I was just making sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> this has been the only podcast about the film Mandy. Uh, Shahir, when you are not just dipping your hand full bore into a, a, a jar of Pearl's Jam and slathering it on your face and tongue, where oh can folks find you? I'm, I'm so sweaty. I'm so, like, lathered in goop uh, <laughs> at all times on my website, which is enough incentive for you to never visit my website. You keep saying that, man. Don't ever go there. But I think it's, I think people would go. No, never go there. Never go there. There's, what is the site they shouldn't go to? There are hidden crevices in that website that you should never, ever visit. www.shahirdaud.com. Matt, the crevices of your body sure. that are contoured perfectly to fit 
the the shape of a metallic axe <laughs> could be found where? My weapons closet is at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L dot com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, you can check out my voice and some wonderful animation styles of the Extra Credits team uh, at Extra Credits on YouTube. I believe we just released something about the metaphor is the meaning, uh, which is actually kind that's, of could be connected. Uh, yeah. connected to this. We do it with video games, but we have some, um, some comic and some cinema examples in there as well. We're also doing something on quantum computing continuing that series and we're wrapping up we got two more episodes i think of the maja pahet series about indonesia uh and and all that jazz which is really fun and you can always get a hold of us with all of your metaphorical meaning questions or just if you have something you'd like us to talk about we're not taking official requests yet that's still coming but if you want to sort of you know be like hey maybe you should do this you could email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod also check out the 360 video that we will be putting up of this episode a part of it it's only gonna be like four four-ish minutes or something like that. It's not the whole thing because that would get old. But Shahir did it once before. Um, they're super fun. He, If you look at the last one we did, it's up on our Facebook and up on our, our YouTube. It is so cool that you put in like all this extra stuff. Like if you rotate around the room. This pressure now. I got to find extra stuff to put in this. Episode. It'll be good. It'll, like, be, it'll be Nicolas Cage popping up out of a corner. Great with crypto. I just, it was very cool and I really dug it. So check that out as well. Uh, next week, Shahir, we got some options for next week. We yeah, haven't talked about this. No, I, yeah, like what? So, so here we go. Let's, let's go down the list of things that I'm interested in seeing. Okay. And, and, and you can t- and I don't even think that these are things that are maybe warrants conversation. <laughs> um, but here we go. Okay. A star is born. For whatever reason, that trailer gives me the feels hard. That is and the I've been awards singing, contender for the year right now. And I've been singing that Gaga song that I only know like three lines from. Uh, then we have uh, Venom coming mm-hmm. soon. I, I don't know. Uh, then we have Venom. Here's the thing about Venom. Yeah. Venom feels like to me a film where I want to see just kind of the critical consensus before I before I decide whether to spend some I, I money I think on we it. already know what the critical consensus What what if it's be. a surprise amazing film? What if it what if it's a huge surprise? Then fuck. we'd be surprised. Yeah, then we'd be surprised. <laughs> uh Bad Times the El Royale. I'm very interested in Bad Times the El Royale just because of the the ca- cabin in the woods. Yeah, uh, I'm psyched for that ever since you told creation. me that. Old Man and the Gun. Yep, I I, the reason I'm interested in that is David Lowry. Okay. Uh, David Lowry made one of the best films that I saw last year, which is a ghost story. Um, and this is his follow-up to that. Uh, it's also the supposedly, not supposedly, the final film from Robert Redford. So, okay. Who knows? So, so would you say it's safe to bet for our for our listeners that we'll do one of those four films next week? We also have a couple of other things that we're supposed to be doing that are in our pipeline. True. Uh, Don't talk about our pipeline on the air. Uh, yeah, if you want to lay some pipe. www.onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and at onlymoviepod. I'm not going to say it again. Stop. That was gross. No. That, that was gross, even for me. We're going to go now, I guess. Ugh. I love it. I made it so creepy. You literally just ended this on how I felt at multiple times while watching Mandy. Slathered. We were slathered. So slathered. Who wants candy? Dripping. Dripping slather. See you next week.